Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. to the Spin This Podcast, the podcast where we put our spin on everything that's happening in the music industry and everything even cursorily related to music. My name is Aiden. I am a musician, composer, engineer, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, astrophysicist, two-time Grammy Award winner, and I'm joined by Sam Dow. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Well, uh, you want to throw out some of my uh, titles there? Uh, what titles? Okay, moving on. Uh, well, so so the reason I should say that uh, the intro even exists like that in the first place is because I've pumped myself all the way up. Because a lot of this podcast is going to be me just tearing myself down because um, uh, I made a lot of mistakes in the last podcast. So a lot of that is just going to be me rectifying a lot of those mistakes. Don't be so hard on yourself. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, actually, I'll do a few of those corrections right now, uh, now that yeah. I, I have the uh, attention of people. For one, uh, it's actually called the Tootsie Slide, referring to the dance that Drake recently did. It's not yeah, called the Tootsie Slide. Yeah, that's what I thought, slide. not Tootsie. Yeah. Uh, regarding the uh, Justin Bieber song that I kept referring as Juicy, uh, it's actually called Yummy. Not a very consequential mistake there. I, I know this is the correction portion. I said you should have doubled down. It's Juicy now. Because Yummy apparently was such a trash song that it shouldn't even earn the name Yummy. It should be Juicy. It was pretty trash. Trashy. Yep. And uh, the last one was that I, this is just a very tiny one. I actually uh, made a mistake regarding the name of a Charlie XX song. Uh, and I called it Feelings when it is, uh, it's called Forever. The song is actually called Forever. And I called it Feelings for some reason. I think what happens is that uh, when I'm not thinking too hard about a specific title, I will amalgamate titles because another dis- uh, mistake that I made was that, um, oh man, there's just so many. I I called Chris Stapleton, Vince Stapleton, and I was thinking of the rapper Vince Staples. <laughs> yeah. So in no way are those two musicians related at all. But anyway, yeah. uh, those are those are four of the smaller corrections. We'll get to the bigger ones soon. If you don't mind, also, uh, I have a, a, a I've had some frustrating experiences with SoundCloud in the past couple of weeks. Let me know. Um, so I've been uh, you know I've used SoundCloud for a while. SoundCloud, in theory, should be a really good place to discover music. And sometimes it is. The best way I've found to discover music is when I play a song that I'm already aware of or I just find a random song and then I allow it to do the autoplay and just show me whatever it can find. Mm-hmm. But searching for genres on SoundCloud is fucking impossible. Uh, the mm-hmm. way that I've had to do that is so backwards and ridiculous and frustrating that I had to write a support message to SoundCloud asking if I'm just an idiot where there is a better way to do this and I just didn't know about it. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the response, but the short answer is I'm not an idiot. They're an idiot. Well, there's a lot of stuff that SoundCloud did, like a lot of changes in their feature base that just 
don't make any sense to me as you and I know, because we, I think you used to add your songs to groups. There used to be a, a, a setting or a right. feature called groups where, uh, somebody would create a group associated with, uh, a particular genre or just, you know, something like, you know, independent music. Uh, I don't know, like you could make a group called Canadian independent music or something like yeah. that. And then you could send your track to be added to the group and, uh, your track would be played as part of that group. And it was a great way of getting your stuff discovered because once it was added to that group, it was played alongside a lot of other stuff that would be played by something that would have a lot bigger audience than just your SoundCloud account. Yeah. Uh, and they decided to do away with that. And I'm not exactly sure why. I'm, they haven't really implemented anything that has adequately replaced that feature. On top of that, as far as I know now, I don't know how to find the new tracks of people I'm following. This part, I don't know much about, so I might actually be an idiot about this part. But as far as I can tell, going to the homepage of SoundCloud is just the Discover page now, where the Discover page seems to be a series of playlists where most of those songs have, like, tens of thousands of plays on them. I want to see, like, you know, my boy Brucey, who just uploads a track right now, and then you're like, oh, I want to see, like, uh, how many plays that has, or I want to hear a song that hasn't been up there for a couple weeks and having thousands of plays i want to see like the stuff that orphilius just uploaded yesterday you know yeah and these are if you don't know these artists that's because they aren't known artists they aren't the things that are getting pushed to the top of the algorithm these are the things that i followed over the years and years of being on soundcloud and want to hear that music um so there's no real way to search for a tag and i know what you may be thinking what about the search bar the search bar, yeah. So let's say I'm on SoundCloud.com right now, and I want to listen to some jazz music. So I search jazz in the search bar. The first hit is an account called Jazz. Let's see, what else do we got? The uh, next track is a track by the account Jazz. There is a Drake track. The next <laughs> below that is a playlist called Jazz. That's certainly not Jazz. Fucking Drake. He corrupts everything. Yeah, then there's a, a Trap House account. None of these things are jazz. A lot of the time when you search things, it's looking for that as the title before it's looking for genre. I think tags is probably the last thing it's looking for. It's going to look for users called jazz before it looks for anything with the tag jazz. It's going to look for songs that have jazz in the title before it looks for jazz. Fucking Drake. So say you wanted to find jazz songs specifically. Well, you can do that. So let's say you pick a random track uh, that happens to have the tag jazz, and then you can click on that tag. So uh, right now I'm looking at a track where the genre is alternative rock. So I'll click on alternative rock. It'll bring me to soundcloud.com slash tag slash alternative rock. If I then want to go to jazz, now that I know the format of the URL, I'll delete alternative rock and write jazz. That's how I search for, <laughs> for tags and genres on SoundCloud. <laughs> I have to use the URL when, once I've learned the uh, the format, and even then, it's 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 just like a slightly more cleaned up version of the search page. Like I still see that Drake track is number one. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like you will become like the Unabomber of SoundCloud. You'll just fucking like you'll write a manifesto about how SoundCloud <laughs> used to be better. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, I don't think it be used pure. to be better. I just don't think they've done anything to make it better. If anything, it's gotten a little bit worse. No, 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 no. SoundCloud used to be pure. It used to be 
free of corruption and Drake. And uh, yeah. Drake's vile hands have corrupted everything. So the, this goes to my next part of my issue. So if you go to the search results, if you just type jazz in the search bar, you yeah. can then filter by tag. So I'm, I can click jazz as the filter by tag. So I've searched jazz and I'm filtering by jazz. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, first two tracks have jazz in the title. Third one, uh, jazz is in the username. Fourth one, jazz is in the username. Uh, jazz is in the title. The next one, next one, jazz is in both the name and the account name. So it's pulling for things that have jazz in the title. It's pulling for the, the search term in the title. You can't just straight up search by tag. And even then, that's my main issue. You can't just search for a genre. And mm-hmm. then uh, even if you do that thing where I go to the tag directly, there's not many search refinement options there. So like you can't search most recently added and stuff like that. Like it, the first result was the Drake song, which was five years ago. SoundCloud has clearly been compromised by the Russians is what Sam is saying. I'm not saying that. I love the Russians. Vladimir Putin, clearly the legitimate ruler of Russia and uh, democratically elected and uh, clearly no corruption. And uh, there's nothing wrong with SoundCloud in his present form. And it has improved over the previous form. And we want to thank Vladimir Putin for that. And uh, we love you. Uh, yeah, so So I'm okay with some of the, the SoundCloud. I, like, I like SoundCloud as a platform. I have found some cool music through it. We love SoundCloud. I just wish that this was a feature and that it was easier to use. It's not really where it should be. I don't want to feel like if I want my stuff to be found, I have to put the genre in the title. Yeah, because that's some like YouTube level shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would rather an option where you can just search by tag. The, the the homepage kind of has things like that, but not really. It's more like it'll give you playlists based on genre, and it'll be like the top of that genre. There's a genre called Top 50 Classical. Track number one has 37,000 views or plays. Uh, track two, 87,000. 508,000, 2.2 million, 17 million. Yeah. It's very elitist, They're all basically. in the millions and yeah. stuff, uh, or tens of thousands or whatever. I want to find the stuff that was just added if I'm looking for new stuff or I don't want to... Li- rarely do I want to listen to the top anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to like discover something that I wouldn't have otherwise discovered or something that just falls into my lap when it does the autoplay type stuff. As you and I, as uh, relatively small-time SoundCloud musicians... What are you talking about? I've won two Grammy Awards. That's not nothing. I will retract my statement and speak for myself now and not for your, uh, your accomplishments and successes. Thank you. Thank you. My most recent track got, uh, my most recent track has 42 plays on it, which is actually pretty good for me. And the idea that, that like I put some time into the tags and stuff, not a lot of effort or anything, but I'd like to think that people searching those tags would be able to find my stuff and me be able to find their stuff if I'm f- trying to find something similar. But the idea that if I were to go to the, the playlist that is at this point the only efficient way to search the genre, every p- song has tens of thousands of plays. It doesn't really uh, give me a lot of hope of my stuff being found from those avenues of similar genres and music. 
Yeah, I mean, it, this this is a problem that would easily have been alleviated had they left the group feature because I had subscribed to several groups, including like film, several film music groups, uh, classical music, experimental music, what whatever. I mean, and yeah. that was that was my go to way because those groups were not curated by an algorithm; they were actually mm-hmm. curated by an, a moderator. In order to actually have access to those groups, a lot of times you would have to have it approved by whoever was moderating that group. That is a big distinction there. And also, I don't think any algorithm, assuming that there was a genre filter, it probably would not filter everything properly. And you would end up having a lot of stuff that maybe is only cursorily related to whatever uh, the genre is that you were searching for. I mean, nobody actively goes on to YouTube in order to find somebody's pre-designated playlist. A lot of the times I go onto YouTube and look up jazz and I end up getting a whole bunch of soul music or a whole bunch of Mm -hmm. funk music, right? Uh, And I think uh, that's the problem with algorithms. Uh, You need, in order to create like a really good playlist, you really need somebody to curate that playlist. Uh, Yeah. Some of the early people I was following on SoundCloud were people that I discovered from the SoundCloud groups. I I remember specifically I was in a lo-fi music group. Uh, this was back in like the when we would post our stuff on Mew on 4chan. Mm-hmm. And I found like a bunch of people through a group I was added by someone I was following from discovering on the Mew board. And then suddenly I found all these other cool lo-fi artists through that. So I do like to be absolutely fair and balanced towards SoundCloud. There is a feature now where you can create, I believe they're called sets, which is the same thing Mm -hmm. as what I do when I create an album. And uh, people can make their own customized set, which consists of uh, not necessarily their own material, but they can uh, create like a a playlist essentially. Um, But the problem is that I don't think a lot of people are going to be actively looking for people's sets, whereas people can subscribe directly to a group. They can follow the group and then they can uh, see new material that has been posted by that group. And uh, that's I think that was a big mistake on their part because that, was I think, was a effective way of having your material promoted in in such a manner as that that you wouldn't have to go to a place like Mew, for example, and basically beg for, you know, viewership. The structures that they've placed in order to correct that have not adequately addressed that uh, shortcoming. Yeah. Um, And I I did send a lot of my frustrations in a support ticket to SoundCloud, and they did respond, and they basically replied... Uh, unfortunately, the tag search is something we haven't invested enough time in yet. Hence, the experience of using them and their functionality can be lacking sometimes. And they say they're working on improving it. I would look forward to that. And I'd probably use SoundCloud a lot more for discovering new music. You know, I think you have to do. You have to go right into their head office, go right to Moscow, uh, right to the uh, the FIS leadership and say, uh, I think you have to fix SoundCloud right now. And I think you need to give me as much Russian bot viewership as you can possibly muster. Because I support Vladimir Putin. Um, that could work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got a response from Tim of SoundCloud support. Tim. And Tim, Fire. he seemed like he was a, an upstanding guy and he, he helped as best he could. So, Are you trying to insinuate that the uh, Russian intelligence agency, they're not upstanding guys? Because um, I know all of them. I mean, no, I don't, I don't know all of them, you know, off the books. But, uh, you know, 
they they do good for this world. They they have never officially electioneered any uh, major elections. I, I I couldn't comment on that. Uh, I just know Tim says they're working on the this the tag experience. Excellent. That's the summary of my SoundCloud rant. Yeah, if you got anything. Uh, as far as SoundCloud goes, I think that the, um, you know, I, I I'm not sure if they're ever going to, uh, you know, bring back any features comparable to the groups that I, uh, which is the main feature that I miss, and uh, because I think that has hindered a lot of the success that I've had on SoundCloud, and I've had to go back to very kind of primitive methods of trying to garner any kind of viewership. And so in all sincerity, I think that was a bit of a mistake, but in its entirety, I think it's still probably the best platform for independent artists. Yeah. One thing that I have been doing in the past couple of months is start actively following more accounts. And I don't just mean spamming, following a ton, a ton of accounts. Over a time, when I keep following more and more accounts, those add up and I think I'm following like 900 and something accounts right now but doing that I have found I don't know like like it gets me more active in the algorithm or something because I have been having more plays since then Mm -hmm. because it knows that I'm more active I think it puts me in that sort of autoplay algorithm more if that makes sense Hmm. well actually that's related to something I was going to ask you do you think that it's a good idea to uh, follow as many users as possible in order to try and gain views. And uh, I would say that that statement has to be kind of qualified a bit because it just depends what you mean by views or fans or anything like that. Because I find that if you take the approach where you go and follow as many people as possible, the followers that you get back are people who probably are not really committed that much to your content on one hand, but on the other hand, it does uh, increase the amount of people who could potentially do that. Uh, So just by the law of averages alone, I mean, taking a spread fire approach to increasing your viewership may actually work in some cases. And it's something that I kind of debate because on one hand, it's sort of an insincere follow. Yeah, It's almost like a follow for follow. But on the other hand, it actually could be effective in the end so i'm, I'm not sure about uh, what you think of, of the ethics of it well each time i go on soundcloud i'll maybe follow like three to five accounts and i notice that i'll maybe get you know three to five follows from that but because now that i have soundcloud pro i can see the statistics so often those follows don't mean anything like I've, they haven't listened to a single track for the most part, when I follow an account, I try to listen to a few tracks. If I'm playing through the, uh, the algorithm, if a few catch my eye, I'll, I'll click follow on them or click like on the track to, to find them later. But then every once in a while, I'll get a follow and then I'll see in my stats that that person listened to two tracks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when I get followers, it's not always the same people that followed me. Um, so it might be a similar thing where it put me in a different set of circles where those people were able to find me, whether they're just doing kind of the same thing or they're going for a follow for follow type thing. Some of them are genuine listeners that listen to multiple tracks. Like I believe that's where our previously mentioned, our boy Brucey found me. Brucey. Yeah. Friend of the show. Comrade of the show. I mean, I see a lot of people who I have, uh, I've gone on. And I've, um, I can see that uh, the amount of accounts that they follow are comparable to the amount of accounts that then follow them. So I must think that a lot of the 
followers that they've acquired have been as a result of the people that they followed going back and following them. Mm. Is this a good strategy? Because on one hand, you are garnering just in raw numbers a greater amount of followers. But to what a degree of the amount of followers that you have are actually actively listening to your content is suspect because I think in the end that that's really what you want. People who will regularly listen to content that you've uploaded. Because in my own experience, right now I'm at 877 followers. And uh, I think that a lot of them have probably followed me more out of courtesy than mm -hmm. out of uh, a genuine desire to see more content uploaded. You, you would think that somebody with 877 subscribers or followers in this instance would regularly have their new uh, content listened to, but I find that that's not really the case. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's you know not as much time has gone by, or maybe I'm a needy little bitch. Either way, I mean, I'm actually just surprised by how little uh, viewership I get on new content when I upload it. See, this is the problem, I find. If you're following people who will just follow you back out of a courtesy, then how many other people do they do that to? And does that then dilute your content? Does it bury it, basically? That's the one thing that I am worried about. Yeah, I think that if I would have to guess, most of my listens aren't coming from my followers. I have 497 followers right now, and my last track got 42 plays on it. I think my, my highest played track is maybe... 130 plays uh maybe maybe a little higher than that but but not 500 numbers you know yeah i don't get the impression a lot of them are coming from my followers exactly i find that on the internet it's actually really hard to build fans you know you would think that it'd be easier because now you have so-called parasocial relationships in which you can basically broadcast elements of your life to people and yeah. uh make it almost like a, a real life relationship but more in the context of a fan versus content creator type thing i find it actually to be very hard especially when you're a small or independent artist because most people just, I find that they don't care. They're more interested in creating parasocial relationships with a, uh, a more iconic figure. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, a cynical, like, Hobbesian way of looking at it. But on the other hand, uh, I, I think it's true. Nobody cares about small content creators. Yeah. Um, and sort of on the same side of being a small content creator, on, on specifically on SoundCloud, for a long time, I don't think I ever really... When I first started out, I would listen to, to as much stuff as I could find. For a couple of years there, I was not really listening to other SoundCloud users at all. I maybe had like a couple I was big fans of and actively waiting for new stuff. But in terms of discovering new stuff or for listening to the majority of people I was following, I wasn't really listening to much. So I was, I was myself a small content creator, not really consuming that much stuff from other small content creators. Mm. So I think SoundCloud is, at least from my limited perspective of it, a lot of people on SoundCloud are people making music on SoundCloud. I know there's probably a huge amount of accounts that obviously I'm not aware of because they aren't the creators, they're the consumers. But I have only really interacted with it as a creator side of it. So I don't know what... I, I would be curious what the percentage of accounts are essentially just consumer accounts where it's just people following and listening to stuff compared to people that are actively uploading and creating content. Yeah. And I think you and I have been discussing ways in which you can actually be successful as a small artist, uh, as a as somebody who uploads content on a daily basis to 
places like SoundCloud. And if you don't mind, I want to use this opportunity to, to pivot to the next yeah, topic. Yeah, go for it. So uh, I want to start the next topic just telling a little story. So, uh, you know, speaking of broadcasting superficial elements of your life, I woke up in a cold sweat and decided, what if I broadcasted myself listening to all nine of Anton Bruckner's symphonies? And I thought that will bring the viewership in. That'll do it. That'll, that'll catapult me to international success. And did it? No. And here's the reason. It's not because that was a stupid idea, which nobody will care about. Uh, it was because... Uh, uh, for the record, I absolutely cared. I was, uh, I was, I was there. No, no. It was, a brilliant, it was a brilliant marketing decision on my part. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely groundbreaking. But that's not, not the, uh, the point of the, me telling the story. I actually wanted to tell the story to illustrate a type of copyright that certain copyright holders have. And it actually gave me uh, another opportunity to discuss uh, another mistake I made in the last podcast, just an off-the-cuff mistake. The type of copyright that I wanted to discuss is a performance copyright. It is the copyright that you hold whenever you create new material, which allows your content to be performed with your consent. And actually, when your content is broadcasted and played on a public platform such as SoundCloud or YouTube, there are certain organizations which are uh, required then to actually compensate you for your work having been performed and listened to in what is technically a public space. So performance royalties, they are designed for you to be compensated if you, say, play your music on the radio, because the radio then has to play the performing rights organization which then is supposed to compensate you. Uh, when I say performing rights organization or PRO, I'm referring to institutions like BMI, ASCAP, or SOCAN. So if you ever see those acronyms, that's what they're referring to. BMI and ASCAP and SOCAN are then obligated to pay you since you hold the performing rights copyright. I actually foolishly have not registered for SOCAN, uh, which is something that I should have because I've had my work played on uh, just, you know, college radio, and I've also had it played on a radio station in Barcelona, funny enough. So technically, even though the amount would, would have not have been very much, it would have been actual compensation for having your work played in a public space. And to go back to the Anton Bruckner story, I was not broadcasting that music with consent from the copyright holder which is why it was taken down. There are also other copyrights that the, the record label holds, like the, the actual rights to the recording. And in this case, since Anton Bruckner is dead, he doesn't actually hold any performance copyright. So in this case, it was more of a rights to the actual recording itself that I was violating. But anyway, the, the point of the story was I wanted to illustrate that if you are somebody who uh, has written a piece of music that is then performed in a public uh, space, any kind of public forum, uh, whether it be on a streaming platform or on the radio or anything similar of the sort, you should register for one of these performing rights organizations. Uh, if you're in Canada, you should register for SOCAN. That's a big one. In the United States, you should definitely register for ASCAP or BMI. Hey, hey, Aiden, are you registered for SOCAN? <laughs> you know uh, I'm not. This Okay, <laughs> in all humility, I actually learned about this shit four years ago, and in all that time, I did not register for SOCAN. Luckily enough, I'm still entitled to back royalties, but still, I, it was a stupid thing, but I was busy, okay? <laughs> I will say, I started the registration process until I got to the point where I had to print out the form, <laughs> yeah. then sign it and scan it, 
the only thing, literally the only thing stopping me from doing that uh, is my <laughs> my printer is turned off. <laughs> I literally just have to turn on the printer and print out the form and then I'll just sign it and scan it uh, uh, and send it in and then I'll be registered. The same thing is the massive impediment of having to print off a physical object yeah. and uh, get uh, off my ass and you know go to an, another well in this case i actually have an excuse i don't have a printer but that was never an excuse right. before because now that i'm living in my own apartment i you know there's nowhere to put in a, a printer yeah but uh, so i'm literally going to have to get my mom to print off the socan form so that i can make money so uh, if, if you're embarrassed about your mom printing it for you I will be happy once I turn my printer on to print out yours and mail it to you in Ottawa. Uh, I don't think that'll be necessary, but you know, thank I will you say for reaching out. it's taken you four years. I found out about this on Friday Yeah, and I am probably not going to take four years to get it done. I will, I would have, I was about to say I can do it right after we record this podcast, but I probably won't do it. I'll probably maybe do it this week. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the moral of the story. I'm the, busy. I'm See, I'm busy actually making music, okay? This is my... If I had a publisher, uh, then uh, then they would be the person that would be doing this shit for me. Get me a fucking publisher, Putin. Do it now. Why Putin? He owes you nothing. He is helping us catapult to a level of uh, unprecedented success. And in exchange, we allowed the, the legitimacy of his reign over the Federation of Russia. Yeah. Oh, I shit. will I just say, gave that shit away. Let's edit that out. <laughs> I will say, of all of the high praising reviews episode one got, Putin <laughs> and the Russian bot army was responsible for two thirds of those reviews. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. It's that you know we can't achieve this level of success with real people. We have to use Russia to help us. Yeah. I will say the the uh, the Russian bot seemed very pleased with uh, with how good of a job we were doing. Yeah, faux show, man. And, and they were thrilled that it was Hamburger Day that day. It's so, uh, that's so specific. I don't know where that comes from. That sounds yeah. like <laughs> I don't know what algorithm brought that into the equation of our uh, comment section, but that Russian bot was really thrilled about Hamburger Day. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I wanted to issue another correction now that I was on the topic of copyright. Um, I in the last video, I said that a record label holds the mechanical copyright. That is not true. I, I actually knew this. I just said it accidentally. The um, the original copyright holder, the person who creates the copyrighted material, holds the mechanical rights. And they are then uh, whoever records the material and makes reproductions of it, which is what mechanical rights are, the right to reproduce a piece of music. Mm -hmm to create a copy of it, then has to get permission and pay the copyright holder a certain amount of royalties. So that's another thing. If, uh, if you're somebody who is distributing your music via CD or uh, vinyl, you're actually entitled to compensation for having your work mechanically uh, reproduced. Compensation from who? Well, if, if it's a record label, if it's somebody else doing it uh, and with your consent, they have to compensate you in order to have that uh, have that work reproduced. Hmm. Yeah. So this is why um, you'll have record labels or other institutions with both a, it'll have the, the label itself and it'll have a distributor as one of its subsidiary corporations. Right. And I also want to make one more correction, totally unrelated to what I just talked about. Shad is no longer on cue. Ah. Uh, yeah. Rip. It, he left too soon. 
Yeah. He was repping London. Now the he's Chad London. London. Yeah. The Shad, Shad London. London. I just realized that you cannot even hear the fact that it's an S-H-A-D. It just sounds like I'm saying Chad. Yeah, I've only said Chad, I think. I wonder how he'd feel about being called Chad. I think that is an honor. Yeah, because he's the Chad. Speaking of Chad, the Chad Virgin meme, did you mm-hmm. want us to talk about meme music a bit? I would love to talk about meme music. All right. It, it combines two of my favorite things, music and uh, memes. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of something everyone. a little more clever or a little more unpredictable, but I, I love both those things so much. Yeah, I mean, what I've noticed is that there are people now, figures in the music industry, that have had their start creating memes. And I'm making a reference to episode one, talking about Doja Cat, uh, mm-hmm. making um, meme music such as Moo, and also artists like Filthy Frank, who uh, began just as a meme creator. Named Filthy Frank. <laughs> yeah, named Filthy Frank. Well, it was actually J- George Miller. Joji is the uh, the artist. Yeah, Joji is the artist. Uh, the, not the artist. And, and now that they, they have the, the ear of a huge audience, that uh, puts them in a position to have a successful career in the music industry, and particularly in pop music as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a bit different for uh, George Miller, because uh, he actually had that come back and bite him in the ass, mm-hmm. which is funny, because that's the way that I knew him, is that he was Filthy Frank. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know him as Joji. Yeah, I remember the first Joji song I heard was only... I don't know when it would, maybe it was 2018 it came out. I think it's called Dancing in the Dark, where he had the, mm-hmm. the music video where he was like, a, uh, he had like the goat legs, like the fawn type thing. And it was like this yeah. very gritty, dark music video. Yeah. I thought it was great. Like I, that was probably the point I realized that Filthy Frank was no more. And now we're in the Joji times and I was okay with it because I thought that was a good song and I listened to it a bunch of times. Uh, I've heard a few of his songs since then and I, I, I like this this sort of mainstream success that he's found, although I still hold a special place in my heart for Filthy Frank and Pink Guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, good for him that he's uh, been able to use his skills that he's actually garnered. Yeah, he's definitely something. like a good musician, yeah. singer, writer, yeah. producer, all that stuff. Yeah, and even though that... So that song... I have to say that I can't, uh, I'm not really well equipped to do a critique of Joji's career yeah. thus far because I have that. That's actually the only song of his that I've properly listened to. It's uh, probably the one while, I've heard the most. I've only heard a couple other ones, but not nearly as much as that song. But I did really yeah, like that song. I liked it. Uh, I would say that there are elements of it that I like, but all in all, I thought it was just okay. Uh, see, I think that, however, I will say with the caveat, that he that is a particularly good debut for any artist yeah and i'm gonna be uh, i'm gonna be investigating his uh the the next stage of his artistic development soon i think he just recently put out an album or he's coming up on releasing an album Mm -hmm. uh i don't know but uh, i'll definitely be giving that a try uh at some point i mean knowing me it's gonna take me like years but uh i know that at some point i will investigate yeah one article that i saw a couple weeks ago so the title of this article is Joji fans have learned the truth about Filthy Frank and it isn't pretty. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there was a huge actual controversy. I think a lot of the people that were sort of involved in this hashtag Joji is over party were people that 
we're filthy Frank fans and we're making fun of the people that didn't realize that filthy Frank was his origins. Yeah. Well, I think Joji had achieved some success in the J-pop movement, mm. which is, you know, Japanese pop, yeah. uh, massively successful worldwide. But uh, he had never, uh, there are probably those who actually don't even know that he uh, did have that old moniker of filthy Frank. Yeah. But it's, it's just so strange where that's, when I first heard his music as Joji, I only was aware of him from the Filthy Frank videos. And I'm like, man, this guy actually is a legit singer and performer and writer. And that kind of uh, opposition to Filthy Frank was, it, it just made it such a strange new experience to, to hear his music like that. And the idea that people were coming in to discover Joji as Joji and not as, oh, that's the Filthy Frank is making music now. It was such a strange <laughs> thing to think about. But obviously, I would say, at least as far as I know, Joji is essentially bigger than Filthy Frank was at its peak. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I, I still see the, uh, is it the it's time to stop reaction gif where it's Filthy Frank? Well, I will say uh, relevant to meme music, which is kind of a different category of meme music where it's songs that become memes. Uh, Joji was once again influential in probably the biggest meme of, was it like 2014, 15 era? The uh, the Harlem Shake? Yeah, which, <laughs> that was when he was Filthy Frank. Yeah, it was, uh, it was him and a bunch of his other friends, uh, and he was in the pink guy costume, and he made the first Harlem Shake video, which was just buried in an existing Filthy Frank video, and then that just spawned that cultural phenomenon that existed for that several month period. Yeah. That was a huge meme, too. And I think that's probably why people know who Filthy Frank is, is because of his association with that that particular meme. Well, I, I'll uh, say I knew who Filthy Frank was. It was like a couple years later until I realized that he was the one that started the Harlem Shake. Yeah, no, I mean, like the, the initial success of Filthy Frank was probably attributed to that. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. The Harlem Shake, yeah. Uh, I think so, uh, because I think the, the Harlem Shake is actually quite old. I thought I'd... Maybe I'm confusing the timeline in my head. I thought I knew who he was before that was a big thing, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not sure how old the Harlem Shake is. I'd have to do some research on that. But if I had to say, just based on my basic level of knowledge, I'd say that's... I think that's why he gained such a following as Filthy Frank. Interesting. I didn't know this, but I, I, I now know this. So I would say, uh, if you ask me now, I would say that somebody who makes me music and is successful, that is such a good way of garnering an audience because mm. memes are not just a specific thing. Like it's not a specific culture. A lot of people who, uh, you know, there are a lot of normies out there who are going to watch you and see your career progress just in the same way that a lot of people stuck around uh, after Filthy Frank put out the Harlem Shake meme, mm -hmm. and they continue to watch his career with interest, and then he was able to progressively feed off of that. And then suddenly he's going off and making his uh, own music. And I think to a large extent, if it was just Joji without the, the precedent of Filthy Frank in order to get him to the level of success he is at right now, I don't think it would have been quite as effective. Yeah. So... I do think memes are totally an effective way of building a career because uh, just by a simple two-minute video or 30 seconds, you can uh, somehow just get the ears of millions of people, literally millions. Yeah. Last year, the biggest song was uh, Old Town Road. 
which essentially was a meme itself. It was pretty much grew so big because of TikTok and all the people using it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Lil Nas X started as a SoundCloud rapper, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. So it just took someone discovering his track on SoundCloud, I presume, and then it becomes a TikTok thing. I don't know how big it grew on SoundCloud before it made that crossover to the meme status. Um, And I'm not sure how big Lil Nas X was on SoundCloud before he made that song. I'd, I'd like to think he was doing better than either of us and followers. Well, I know I don't like to think that. I would like to think he was smaller than us <laughs> because then that means, well, if he could do it, why not us? Yeah, uh, we just got to start making memes now, man. Well, I would say that the, the music I've been making, a little self-promotion here, my upcoming and partially released album, Fake Mustaches and Other Songs. This will also bring into it another topic I have, the difference between meme music and comedy music. And is there a difference? I would say my songs are a comedy I wouldn't say there's really a meme behind any of them. Yeah. Each song kind of has its own comedic premise set to it or written around a certain topic or idea. And it's done in a comedic tone because my sort of approach, because these are songs where I'm singing where I'm not uh, a confident or experienced singer. And my opinion about people that aren't very good singers need to have really good writing to sell the lyrics of a song. Uh, And if you try and do something serious when you're not a good singer or a very good songwriter, if you're doing something serious, it's going to sound really cringy. So if you go for something comedic that at least hits the mark part of the way or most of the way, it is that foot in the door for, okay, it has some of the elements to make it a worthwhile vocal component to it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a meme has an inherent level of virality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, lo- I mean, look at a meme, like most of them are silly. Like, you know, Gangnam Style is pretty silly, yeah. or the Harlem Shake is very silly. Funny enough, when I was thinking of Harlem Shake, I actually said Gangnam Style because there's, I think they actually uh, became successful around the same time. Mm. And also, they're both centered around like a, a silly dance. And I think Gangnam Style also kind of became successful just because of the idiosyncratic qualities, like the fact that it's Korean and the fact that, uh, you know, it's got a silly dance, it's got a silly ass video, you know, I think that... And it's a good song. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's... It's a fun song. Yeah, it has a certain hooky quality to it. And uh, I think that's probably what is needed. And that's why I think that memes are almost the same thing as pop music or the the most successful pop music that you can think of does have a certain uh, distinct kind of idiosyncratic quality that makes it hooky and accessible to a wide audience and the same thing applies to these memes and particularly music memes is that there's something strange and idiosyncratic about them that makes them that differentiates them look at friday yeah it wasn't even designed to be a meme it kind of ironically became a meme because of the singing the the fact that it was clearly just so uh yeah i don't want to say tone deaf but you know there was a uh, it's a level of tone deafness there you know yeah it was uh, i'm glad you didn't say it a degree of tone deaf. I'm not saying that she was tone deaf, but there was some tone deafness there. Yeah, right? I, I couldn't hear the tone as if I was not physically able to. Hard of tone hearing. Yeah. Yeah. She was tone hard of hearing. I, I needed some, some hearing aids for the tone. <laughs> yeah. So that's my opinion about uh, meme music. Is that... Uh, uh, well, I was thinking there's you, some other songs that almost are having like a, a second life as meme music in some ways. The, the biggest one would be never going to give you up 
becoming oh, yeah. Rickrolling, uh, which I obviously I wasn't alive when that song first came out. I assume it was a hit in its time and then that was kind of of its time kind of thing you know the times moved on and more music came out and then the internet makes it this this inside joke of the internet where you're just trolling each other with with uh rick astley well that's uh, i'm actually glad that you brought that up because that's something that is more like a post-ironic phenomenon mm-hmm. because you start with a legitimate song one that was quite successful in its day and everybody knew at the time who rick astley was and then years later it becomes this meme and it's associated with Rick Rowling. Uh, you, you know, click on something and it just, you know, redirects you to Rick Astley. Blah, blah, blah. We all know the meme. Like, we are all uh, alive. Like, I don't think we have any Zoomers in our audience who have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. But I think then, it's like, the song probably found a new audience in a way. The people who liked it, uh, not just out of irony, the fact that it was, uh, you know, being appropriated as a, as a meme. But uh, I think that... There's a there's a, a bridge between something that is appreciated ironically, like the Rick Rolling meme, mm-hmm. and something that is appreciated almost post ironically, like appreciating uh, songs that are kind of kitsch and old, just for those qualities alone. The fact that they're kitsch and old, mm-hmm. it's almost like appreciating a bad film, but then elevating the elements of it that are so bad that they're good, to just saying that they're good. They're no longer so bad that they're good. They're just good. They're kitsch and they're fun. Like The Bridge. (laughs) Although The Bridge is not a horror film. The Bridge is just so good. (laughs) I love it, actually. I'm I'm saying that without any sense of irony. I actually enjoy watching it. And um, I would just like to say that the people who have no idea what The Bridge is, who is going to comprise most of our... Most of the fan base who is not our friends, most people are not going to know what The Bridge is. I will say, probably about... Uh, I don't know how many plays our first episode had at this point, but one of them was the co-director uh, Beamish. Yeah. Friend of the show. So I think, first of all, I would love to elevate the bridge to the level of fame that it deserves. It, it needs to become post-ironically appreciated. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention the, uh, the song that I never know the name of. Uh, that It's the Troll-a-lol-a-lol song. With the uh, yeah. the guy uh, smiling and dancing around. Yeah, Russian fellow, friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the first meme song that I was aware of. By the time I was aware of the term meme and knew that that was a song that was 100% appreciated for being a meme. I think Friday was already had its cultural ph- phenomena by the time that that became a meme. But mm-hmm. but but at that point, I don't know when Friday came out, but I don't remember being big into memes at that time. I felt like I was really in that meme era after that. And then around that time is when the Troll song was uh, the first meme song that I was aware of. Yeah, it's, it's funny because that's a song that I actually just would appreciate you know, sincerely, if it, even if it wasn't a meme. Like not even post-ironically. Or or ironically. I think it was the video that really, like... Just because he, he had a, <laughs> yeah. a, a giant grin on his face that didn't move at all, and he's moving around and dancing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I dig it. Yeah. It's a banger. Yeah, total banger. Yeah. Did you want to proceed to Bangers and Stinkers? Yeah. Bangers and Stinkers. Oh, I had another uh, idea of what to rename Bangers and Stinkers, of what is tentatively called Bangers and Stinkers. Oh, uh, Joe Smash or Joe Pass? (laughs) 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 
Joe Smash is just unabashedly a good thing. Wait, wait, wait. Was it Joe Smash? They said. Oh, oh. Joe uh, Smash or Joe Pass? <laughs> there, there is no person named Joe Smash though. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who listen might not know who Joe Pass is. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want, <laughs> I want them to learn about Joe Pass because I want to keep using the Joe Pass jokes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that people, more people, should know who Joe Pass is, just because that meme. It, it it must flow. The meme must flow. So, do you want to tell why we're telling Joe Pass jokes? Do you have some personal music news that you want to share? Yeah. So I I I was looking to buy a new guitar because uh, I'd already bought a guitar, and you had to buy a guitar too. Yeah. So I have a bit of a uh, Oedipus complex, and seeing that you had bought a guitar, and seeing that you had actually got a good deal on it, I was like, I need to. So you know, Sam can't have a better guitar than me. I think I still uh, have a better guitar than you, but. Yours is signed by the fake Joe Pass. Well, it's got, yeah, so it's got its signature embossed on it. Uh, and so it has his signature on it. So a real reproduction of his signature. <laughs> a, a, a reproduction of his actual signature is on my guitar. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I needed the guitar. Uh, it's because Sam's guitar does not have Joe Pass's fake ass signature on <laughs> his guitar. <laughs> So seeing that, I was like, hmm, Sam doesn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to pay $450 extra on top of what I'm already paying well, to have that signature. So how much did you pay for that guitar, if you don't mind me asking, the full price? Seven fifty. Okay. I paid 300 for my guitar. It's uh, The brand is called Framus. It's a German brand. It's from 1970. It's called, uh, uh, the model is Sorrento. The guy that owned it, he seemed like he probably owned it since 1970. And he took a lot cool. of good care of it. It's a beautiful guitar. He had uh, upgraded a lot of the electronic and wiring. When I looked up the proper model of this guitar, uh, I saw a website that sold it for, I think, 1,200 euros, whatever that is in oh, Canadian nice. dollar. Um, so $300, I would say, was a great deal. And it's a beautiful looking guitar, and it sounds great. Yeah, I, I don't say and that. And no um, fake Joe Pass will ever come near my guitar. Hey man, he lives on as fake Joe Pass. Okay, so the, on your guitar, the, it's a Joe Pass from me. I got a Joe Pass <laughs> on that. So there we have it. We have the meme now. So that that's how we we had it, right? Yeah. The Joe Pass meme refers to dead jazz uh, guitarist Joe Pass, Joe passing on into the afterlife. <laughs> So I'm sure like, okay, all in favor of renaming the segment to Joe Smash or Joe Pass. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like uh, I'm not sure if it uh, it's it's going to sound way too esoteric. We can keep it sinker bangers and stinkers, but I'm still going to probably throw in the occasional if I pass on something, I got to throw a Joe Pass on it. (laughs) We can we can say like for the really stinky uh, ones, bangers and stinkers and or Joe Pass or Joe Smash. (laughs) Joe Smash or Joe, Joe Smash. Pass. Joe Smash without without the context of Smash, Smash being or Joe a, Pass. Okay, without the context of Smash being uh a uh euphemism for fucking, then I don't think most people are gonna know, know what the fuck well, we're talking about. What's a about. banger if not a euphemism for fucking? A banger? Yeah, bang. I think it's, it bangs. Like, you know, it, it yeah, uh, like it fucking goes is hard, banging. You know what I'm smashing Joe Smashing True. I have used. Uh, okay, I I randomly uh, commented on a on a disco track that this fucks, 
And then I immediately <laughs> thought, is is this a good thing? Like if I if I just say yeah. completely out of context, this fucks. I mean, obviously I meant for it good, a, a good thing, but could it be considered as like, oh, this fucks. Like it's stupid. You know what I'm no. saying? No. Fucking is probably okay. one okay. of the That's best good. things. And telling that something fucks. Yeah, I mean, th- this thing fucks. Okay, good. So, so far we've got... Uh, it it uh, it slaps, which is a meme that everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, it fucks uh, Joe Smash, right? Yeah. I Joe Smash. I I would Joe Smash the fuck out of this team. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't, if you don't, if it doesn't fuck, if you don't want it Joe Smash, you got to Joe Pass. Yeah, and then it does not slap. There's no domestic abuse. I haven't heard the, the music of Joe Pass. Does his music Joe Smash? Uh, in in whatever way that his uh, oh yeah it uh, it Joe slaps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what is the first track? Or well, I think we only had the one track of uh, for this edition of bangers and stinkers or now joe smash or joe pass so the one that we want to discuss was savage uh right. by megan the stallion mm. if i'm saying that right it's the remix featuring beyonce yes um, that was the number I've, one song at the time of us deciding this segment so i don't have a lot to say about the song uh it lies some somewhere in the continuum between bangers and stinkers yeah although i would say that maybe i would favor this one a little more because it doesn't sound like at least not from a chord progression perspective it doesn't sound a lot like what you would hear from a typical pop track right uh, it's something that i feel like i hear a lot in older house music which is something called chord planing so the song the song uses these two chords one of them is a uh, e flat or d sharp minor that's what i uh that's what i hear and that's what i've transcribed i'm not sure if those are the exact chords but it's what it is is that it's a uh one chord that is played on a uh, a strong beat for most of the bar or most of whatever the phrase and then it's just that same chord shape planed up by one semitone and you actually hear that a lot in older pop music and it gives it a really kind of interesting jazzy sound and i have to say that's that's something that i actually quite like about it the the only thing that i would say i'm not totally a fan of is the fact that they don't really change up the chord progression that much or at all during the entire song so there's no uh discernible change in structure throughout the song which, I mean, to whatever extent that that is okay in hip-hop is, you know, beyond me. I mean, hip-hop doesn't necessarily have to follow a intro, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, outro structure. But I have to say that I was kind of, uh, I had a little bit of less enthusiasm after I had found out that they were just kind of looping that sample or looping that mm-hmm. line. The only other thing I want to say about this track in particular was... Beyonce is an incredible vocalist, and I feel as though uh, her vocal stylings on this track are very sparse. Mm. She's only used in a background singing capacity. And I think when she comes in, and I think I'm able to hear most of the time her <laughs> dis- differentiate between someone who is Beyonce and not Beyonce. Right. When she came in, I thought it was almost kind of unremarkable, and she didn't really differentiate them- herself that much from Megan Thee Stallion who I have to say is the only, uh, this is the only exposure I've had to her music thus yeah, far. Yeah, me too. But the parts where she did sing, I thought that it, they were great. Uh, they they were mostly in a background capacity, singing, uh, you know, ahs and other kind of ad-libs, just as a supporting vehicle to uh, Megan Thee Stallion. But nevertheless, still 
an okay track, an okay trap track. Mm-hmm. It uh, does is in no way uh, usurps your rule as Lord of the Trap game. Uh, and uh, I think that that's um, important to mention because uh, you will for always be, in my opinion, king of the trap game. Should, should I? Should it be a recurring thing where I read the lyrics of this song? If you want to. I will say... Um, I listened to this song a couple days ago when we were, when we were uh, planning out this segment, and then it was the last thing I listened to before we started this episode because I didn't remember it, and then I also didn't remember it when we started this discussion. So if that's kind of, uh, I think that says a lot about the impression that this song left on me is that it wasn't anything particularly memorable to me. When you played yeah. the chords just there, I'm like, okay, that sounds like what I heard. But it didn't really have sure a, that's a, a lasting rhythm. impact on me. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll read a little uh, uh, a little uh, uh, sample from this to to maintain my my rule of the uh, the domain of trap game. The rap god Sam Dow, aka MC Constitution, is about to take the mic, and when he is finished, make sure that you did not touch that mic because it's going to be 150 degrees. It's hot. Go for it. It's going to burn your fucking hand if you try to touch that mic after he is finished with it. Uh, Aiden in the post-production, lay me down a beat. I'm a savage. And if it's and if it's no good, I'm going to take it and yeet. <laughs> this is why I'm not rap cut. That's why you're, <laughs> you're, why... you're lord of, of, of rhyme. That's why I'm your producer, yeah. not your, your uh, feature. Listen, Aiden, only one can be lord of the rap game. Okay. Yeah, third, I, I can be like a duke or a You're, baron. Yeah, or you'll be like duke that. of of uh, produce. <laughs> I'll be like a lesser landowner, uh, like a uh, who who owns the serfs? Is it uh, a vassal? I'll be vassal of the rap game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, vassal rap. Vassal of the trap game. Not even of rap of the of trap, trap game. game. <laughs> vassal of trap game. <laughs> First of his sure name. That's historically accurate. All right. Uh, here we go. I'm a savage, attitude nasty, talk big shit, but my bank account match it, hood, but I'm classy, rich, but I'm ratchet, (laughs) haters kept my name in they mouth, now they gagging, ah ah, bougie, he say the way that thing, that thang move, it's a movie, I told that boy, we got to keep it low. Leave me the room key. I done bled the block, and now it's hot. Bitch, I'm too nechy. I'm a mood, and I'm moody. Ah. (laughs) I would drop the mic, but uh, my mic stand is a little bit in a precarious position. So it'll be a, a spiritual mic drop. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that is what musicians should actually say because I've had enough of musicians damaging microphones. They should say exactly what you just said to pay homage to the true trap god that um, respects in the house. That respects audio equipment and and the the uh, trouble that audio engineers go through. People who drop mics, they're not real rap gods yeah. or trap gods. I have to say, so out of context, those lyrics are pretty hilarious. Like, I, I yeah. think that they're pretty funny. Uh, it wasn't quite the same as reading the uh, the A Macarena lyrics uh, last time. I was okay with these lyrics. I didn't have any issues with them. It's just the song, it completely Joe passed out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you would not Joe smash it. Uh, when I'm listening to it, it's a, it's a, a Joe smash. 
but in terms of a lasting impact, it just completely Joe passed out of my mind. Uh, I would, uh, I would maybe Joe smash with it playing in the background, but, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, it did not really have much of a lasting effect on me. And in in the uh, the spirit of continuity, for last week's A Macarena, not only is it a Joe Pass, it is the fake Joe Pass signature on your guitar. <laughs> it is the the embossed fake signature of of dead Joe Pass, and it's not uh, not even to the standard of a regular Joe Pass. You can, you can, uh, uh, you know, you can knock on my uh, fake, fake ass embossed Joe Pash signature all you want, but I'm actually not secure, insecure about it because uh, that guitar fucking, uh, it Joe smashes even though it's a Joe Pass for you. So I, the guitar itself, I've, I've seen it and uh, I heard your, uh, the recording you sent to me the other day. It's very sexy. That totally Joe smashes. It Joe slaps. That's a good guitar, yeah. and I'm uh, I'm not jealous because I have a really good guitar as well. But that was a worthwhile purchase, and I'm glad yeah. that your uh, your Oedipus complex required you to purchase it. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I can't. You, it's you, it's you, not like I can so just buy all, a guitar and you not buy one. It okay. What, oh, I just thought about a good idea. Uh, so I'm gonna be. Uh, so you're gonna be obviously uh, MC Constitution, and I'm gonna DJ Oedipus Rex. <laughs> I'll allow it. Well, it should be something right. else bridge-related, right, shouldn't it? Be, because your success... How about oh, Oedipus wait, yeah. West? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I feel so bad because, like, I think I appreciate that a lot of people who... Uh, on one hand, I appreciate that a lot of people who uh, are familiar with the bridge are going to are gonna think that that was the, an absolute banger of a joke, yeah. which it was. But on honestly, the, on the other at hand, this point... I'd say that the majority of our audience is familiar with the bridge because at, yes, at this point it's Max and Beamish. If we continue to loud the legitimacy of Vladimir Putin as leader of the Russian Federation, then I think we're going to get a lot of people who are like, oh, what is this bridge? What is, what is they talking about the bridge? Tell me about the right? bridge. So, yeah, yeah. So Where is the bridge? Like, so these fake uh, sock puppet accounts are not going to know what the bridge is. I think that so in it, the, the YouTube description or whatever platform descriptions will include a link I to the bridge. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Thank you. We this podcast This is now an advertising platform for the bridge. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was actually the only pop song I wanted to talk about. So, in your opinion, is it a banger or stinker? Would you Joe Pass or would you Joe Smash? It, it Joe Pass from my mind, but I would give it I would say it's a banger, but it it, it it Joe passed out of my mind. Yeah, so... I thought it was um, a good song. I, when you played those chords and reminded me of the song that I entirely forgot, I thought it was a, uh, a cool-sounding progression. Like you said, it, it didn't really have too much variation to it. And yeah. the lyrics, reading them out of context is a bit silly, but I thought they worked well in the song. I'm, I don't know much about uh, Megan the Stallion. Yeah. Uh, I'm aware of Beyonce. She has a great voice. Uh, I thought that the arrangement and stuff worked uh it's just i didn't find it particularly memorable for me it's not it's not a a, a sam dow joe smash yeah so for me what i value in pop music is uh like like you said good arrangements because uh i mean pop music is kind of designed to be very bombastic and so if something is well arranged very well then it immediately attracts uh you know a positive reaction from me i will also say that um one of the things that I like is interesting harmonic material, whether it's a totally 
out of the blue chord progression, like in the second half of uh, Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia, which, uh, by the way, even though is a great song, I actually have to concede that the song that she has up on the radio now, which is called Don't Start Now, I kind of uh, just very cursorily passed over that track. But I have to concede, uh, and uh, a friend of the show, like actual friends of the show, Brendan Beamish brought this up, that it is actually a proper banger. And uh, Friend of the show, Brendan actually... Beamish, drummer of Slug Bucket, a band that myself and my brother Max, the only other listener of the show... Uh, also, Brendan Beamish, uh, director or co-director, producer of The Bridge. Yeah. And Thomas Grace. Uh, uh, yeah. And Thomas Grace, too. So important figure in the uh, in the canon of Spin This. Uh, and uh, I think they also he's another guy that deserves as much Russian sock puppet following as we can possibly muster for him. Mm. So uh, and uh, uh, he does a lot of um, recently he did like a videography related video for a local band if i'm not mistaken and he does um videography in london relating to the the local music scene so he he would be a good possible guest friend of the show in a future thing beautiful uh this is your invitation (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're on the list (laughs) (laughs) oh my god what list This is so esoteric. I'm so glad. Please, if you uh, don't so glad watch the using... bridge, click the link in the description. I, I've watched the shit out of the bridge. I love it. I feel like uh, we're going to have to cut down some of the bridge talk because we probably yeah. spent, dedicated at least uh, 10 or 15 minutes. I don't think so. I think the more we talk about it, the more, uh, the more the Russians intrigued. are like, what is bridge? Yeah. The algorithm what is, is going to bring up all these Russian bots to the uh, the bridge. Yeah. One of the uh, segments that we didn't get around to last time was album recommendations and reviews. I kind of want to do that because uh, there is an album that I want to talk about. Is is there one that uh, that you have for this segment? You don't even necessarily have to have one prepared. Just an album that you like that you'd like to. Remember. I I do have one. I want to talk about what I would probably consider my most listened to album. Certainly my most listened to album of 2019, but probably oh has become one of my most listened to albums of all time. And that is one of my relatively new favorite albums, Ram by Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. So this album, I just decided to listen to it. I think I saw a YouTube video where a guy talked about this, uh, the first track on the album, just called Too Many People, which the, the lyrics are a bit of a jab at John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Certain parts of it were sort of referencing a little bit that there's, you know, too many people in the room when it comes to... Uh, producing the Beatles. There's a bit of shit talker, eh? Yeah, and uh, and I'll say that I listened to that. That video is what got me to listen to the album. And then I listened to the album a few times, and I was like, yeah, it's it's an okay album. And then I listened to it a few more times, and I something clicked where I'm like, I fucking love this album. And oh and yeah, it, it came yeah, in, it came in like waves. Or first, like, okay, I like this song, and it's like, wow, these few songs are really good. And now I basically know that album note for note in my mind. That's awesome. Um, so I looked up some background information about the album. So it was I know it was his second album because his first album was just called McCartney. And I have listened to McCartney, obviously not nearly as many times, but it's a very uh, minimalist production-wise, uh, especially uh, having been part of the Beatles, which was the biggest band in the world at the time of him leaving. And, the, and his album McCartney, it kind of got not great reviews for being very uh, minimal production. And then uh, mm-hmm. he made Ram 
which it's is it's really his first collaboration with his wife Linda McCartney, who he would then go on to have his band Wings with her and other people. And uh, I looked up the reviews of what it initially how it was received. And it got fucking awful reviews. Not even just awful reviews, but John Lennon and Ringo Starr were kind of shit-talking the album, too. Oh, well. Talk shit, get hit. Yeah. And uh, uh, I want to read some of the... Talk trash, Joe Smash. Yeah, they totally Joe passed <laughs> on this shit. And uh, part of the, the uh, critiques of the album was that it was too... Some of his songs are a bit too cutesy pie, which... I will say is like a part of it. It's it, he does have a lot of cutesy or lovey dovey type songs, but he has a song on a future album called "Silly Love Songs," which is a, an amazing song with the line. Oh yeah, uh, I know that one. Some people want to fill the world with silly love songs, and what's wrong with that? I'd like to know because here I go <laughs> again, again, because he did yeah. do that again and again, uh, and I love yeah. that shit about him. Yeah, I like that song. And more modernly, it's been reviewed a lot more favorably mm-hmm. because I guess. Really, as McCartney established the kind of music that he makes when he's not Lennon and McCartney, when people realized what that music is, when it's not people expecting more of the Beatles and he's more established as Paul McCartney, it retroactively becomes a better album in that way, which I think is kind of an interesting thing because even like the album McCartney, like his first solo album, isn't, I don't think, is an amazing album by any means. It's certainly is better knowing where his music evolves from there. And there is a couple of good songs that are uh, really good on that album. But this album, I love every single song on this album, and I listened to it over 100 times last year without any exaggeration. A few of uh, the great songs, well, I could say all the songs are great songs, but the the first song, Too Many People, to you, Aiden, I recommend this whole album because I'm, uh, I don't want you to tell me if it's bad, but I want you to tell me it's good because it actually is good. so uh, the first song is too many people that's a really great song there's a song called uncle albert slash admiral halsey which is kind of uh sometimes the beatles did songs where they're almost in like two or three parts where it's essentially completely different songs just stitched together and and paul mccartney does that on a few albums like a Mm -hmm. band on the run is a, a big example of that where it's essentially three littler songs combined into one and I've done that myself on a few of my albums, specifically inspired by uh, some of those ideas that were in the, the Beatles and in Paul McCartney's solo albums. Mm-hmm. And I really like that song. And that one, it doesn't have too much to it, lyrically, the uh, Admiral Halsey part of it. Uh, well, I mean, neither of uh, Uncle Albert or Admiral Halsey has much to it lyrically. It's just kind of simple, almost that very, I guess, English persona to it, I guess. Like something that I would expect uh, in like... Uh, a Beatles song in terms of when they just kind of name drop these random characters that sound very English in that way. Yeah. And then there's like a, a sort of a chorusy part of the Admiral Halsey bit where, uh, where they're singing uh, hands across the water, hands across the sky. And it's him and Linda McCartney sort of vocalizing on that. And that feels like it's the very cutesy part that was criticized, but knowing that that's kind of what Paul McCartney is, I really like that kind of that kind of stuff. So I really like that. It's a it's a very interesting song. And then uh, the other one that I will I will highlight is Monkberry Moon Delight, which is a ridiculous song, but it's it's very uh, it, it it feels like his vocals are a little more raw when he's singing. The main thing he's almost yelling it a bit, and it it just has this this projection to it, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it's very uh, there's a lot of imagery in the lyrics, and it it doesn't sound like it's really singing about anything in in particular. But it's just more crafting these interesting 
lyrics to it. You know, even the title Monkberry Moon Delight gives you an impression of just kind of the the nonsensical imagery that it's creating. Sounds like something Sid Barrett would write. Yeah, in a way, lyrically, I would say I would put it on a similar page as Sid Barrett's lyrics. And I really like, I really dig the instrumentation. And then there's a, there's pretty much like a minute or so outro where it's essentially Paul McCartney going and he's vocalizing all of these improvised melodies i love it uh, it's one of my favorite songs of that album but i love that whole album fantastic well i you have recommended it to me in the past and uh i haven't listened to it yet i have to say that i recommend you a lot of stuff yeah and a lot of the times i have to concede that i'm not sure if you would like it but i'd recommend it anyway because there's a lot of stuff that i would think that maybe you would like it e- even though i have no idea whether you would like it or not so i just recommend yeah. it anyway i take a risk uh, and right? i will say there has been an amount of you do recommend a lot of stuff and for the most part i'll i'll at least give it a chance of a play and see if uh, if anything sticks and uh there are occasions where i've discovered some pretty good stuff just from your recommendations i think the probably the biggest one was the charles mingus black saint and the sinner lady which is probably one of my favorite albums of all time and you recommended that to me i love that album and i will say it's so good that that album has fueled the desire in me to find that chaotic jazz sound that that i feel like i'm going to be looking for forever and will only fall short to black saint and the center lady yeah i was actually just about to say that not a lot of music or jazz or anything sounds like that album it's just such a conflation of influences like there's that album is one of the reasons why i decided to learn flamenco guitar oh yeah because uh i can't remember the name of the session musician but uh i actually want to call it up because i want to name drop this guy i'll also say Say, that i am announcing a brand new segment right now where it's it, it will be my search for the supreme chaos of jazz music (laughs) where i try and find chaotic jazz music that will exceed the experience of black saint and sinner lady but i will say right now i don't expect to find anything better than that in terms of what i'm looking for but i will look and i will i will find similar music or music that i like comparably but i don't expect to find anything that will let me re-find that joy of music that I found in that album. Outside of uh, free jazz and a lot of stuff that uh, John Coltrane did, I don't think there's anything quite comparable to that album. But I mean, uh, I'll recommend, like, I don't want to recommend you anything on air just because uh, uh, I don't want it to take away from the album that I'm about to recommend. Uh, I'm about to find the name of this guitarist. I believe he's a classically trained guitarist. Jay Berliner is his name. Uh, And he actually... Hearing his uh, uh, flamenco playing on that album made me want to learn flamenco guitar and uh, also made me realize the degree to which an extreme amount of training is required in order to reach that level of proficiency that Jay Berliner exhibits on this particular album. Mm. And uh, I continue to listen to it today and just love the the kind of, uh, you know, Andalusian style guitar playing that he exhibits on that album. But uh, yeah, uh, pl- so we'll plug that album as well. Yeah, uh, I, I want to do like a full a- album review of that in the future between the two of us. That, that one, I feel like we could talk a lot more about that, but I don't want to steal the thunder behind your next uh, recommendation. Yes. So my recommendation for this week is an album that has, uh, in, in fact, it, um, it's very similar to your experience with this, with this album. I first discovered Richard Howley. I believe he must have come up in my YouTube recommendations or uh, just by 
letting the YouTube algorithm do its thing. It was a song off another album called Don't Stare at the Sun. It's very beautiful, very dreamy. I decided to go and investigate this artist, Richard Hawley. It's spelled H-A-W-L-E-Y, and then just Richard in the standard spelling. I decided to investigate his discography. The album of his that I enjoy to the greatest degree so far is this album called Cole's Corner. It's a beautifully arranged singer-songwriter album. I would almost say that a lot of it is um, very inspired by older folk music from the 60s, but the arrangements and the production is actually very modern. There are two songs on here that are my favorite, which are both uh, consist of string arrangements. One is the title track and first track, which is Cole's Corner, which has this beautiful towering uh, string arrangement. And these lyrical themes of love in the city, like a very kind of youthful love, it's written as a pop song, but it is very much a, a very kind of crooning, kind of longing tune. And it's just so beautiful, the way that it builds up to the chorus, the, the way the strings kind of swell and then decrescendo when he moves out of the chorus is just lovely. There, anyway, there's another song on here called The Ocean, probably uh, one of Richard Hawley's more uh, recognizable tracks, which mimics in the best possible way the, uh, the subject matter of the song, which is the ocean. But what makes this song particularly good is the way that it builds up to this beautiful melody, this line, which is uh, both a, a vocal line uh, in the bridge of the song and also played as a guitar solo. The song starts out very quietly, builds on these, on these strings that play uh, this like two-note ostinato. And uh, by the time this bridge comes along, we've gone from this quiet uh, kind of mumbly whisper uh, in um, Richard Hawley's singing to probably one of his more acrobatic vocal performances on the entire track because his singing is definitely not the forefront of most of the, of the material on this album. At this moment where it builds up to this guitar solo, uh, it's just like a hair-raising moment. It's just like one of the things that you listen to music for. I actually just kind of want to plug this album because it um, because it just it's become one of my favorites and it's also just a lesser known album in general. And also, there's there are other songs on here that pay homage to lots of uh, older genres from the uh, '60s and '50s. There uh, is a song called "Hotel Room," which is a duop song, pretty much stylistically similar in every way to a duop song. It follows the same one six. I was to say one six five one progression is the duop progression. Mm-hmm. And it also has a lot of a lot of other stuff that is emblematic to do up, like uh, kind of the piano stabs on the eighth note. Uh, like all the songs are, are love songs mm-hmm. uh, or, or have some reference to past loves or something like that. There's a song on here, Wading Through the Waters of My Time, uh, Americana song. And it's uh, if you had told me that this was a song that was actually written by somebody like Johnny Cash and was actually a cover, mm-hmm. I would uh, actually believe it because... Uh, it's uh, very much an homage to that kind of older style. Okay. It's funny that uh, the, just the contrast and in the inf- inspiration that goes into this album and uh, the level of proficiency in paying homage to these styles while also employing a very modern style of production and arrangement doesn't make it seem like he's trying to go for like an older sound or pander to an audience that would only appreciate those particular styles. 
Uh, it's almost like what we were talking about last week with 80s nostalgia music. It's not just trying to pander to a, an audience that is looking for an 80s sound. It's also appropriating sounds from that time period into a modern context. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think he does that successfully. Uh, and that's pretty much all I want to say that about this album. It's one of my favorites, favorite recent finds. I'd say I put it very high on my list of albums of all time, best albums of all time. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's what I talked about that, and I also want to recommend it to you because I think you would dig it. Yeah, I, you have entirely sold me on this album, and that will probably be the next music I listen to. Good. I've pulled it up on my my internet so that I won't forget. I assure you that you will Joe Smash with this album. I really need a Joe Smash. I would love to Joe <laughs> Smash all over this. Did you want to proceed to SoundCloud shoutouts? Yes. Yes. Do you want me to go first? Uh, if you want. Okay. Um, so I have one to recommend. So the username is Moxie, M-O-X-I-E. So soundcloud.com slash Moxie. Uh, he's an Australian fellow. He released an album called Future Fears as, I guess, the band Moxie and the Nobodies. Only three of the tracks are on SoundCloud, where the rest are on, uh, I believe, Bandcamp and Patreon. So I only listened to a few of the songs from this album, and I only listened to the three songs from this album. I'm probably actually going to buy this album because I enjoyed... Specifically, I really enjoyed one of these songs. So the song that I'm specifically going to recommend is called Where Are You Going, Boy? by Moxie and the Nobodies off the album Future Fears. So the song itself, it's almost like... It's it's kind of like an alternative electronica rock kind of vibe. Hmm. The main vocals it it reminds me of uh in the wall pink floyd's the wall there's the uh uh in the trial song there's the the sort of uh the judge where he's the uh he talks out of his ass kind of guy like the uh prosecuting lawyer maybe okay uh or no the one the one towards the end where he's literally like the asshole that's talking uh where uh he's got this almost growl to his voice and the fact that the all of the lyrics are like where are you going, boy? It sounds very, it reminds me a lot of like the sort of teacher character from Pink Floyd the Wall and the fact that he's Australian, he's got an accent with it as well. Just, the, uh, it's sort of got that gruffness to it. How can you eat your pudding if you don't eat your Yeah, meat? yeah. Uh, so it's basically, it reminds me, it gave me vibes of that uh, with like kind of like an alternative rock with some electronica type shit going on and then the chorus kicks in and it's basically saying where are you going where are you going boy and then when they say boy there's this backing vocal where it's this higher pitched maybe it's like a a female backing vocalist with a sort of synthy effect on it saying boy with it and it's got this cool melodic thing going on and i i that completely sold it for me just the the sort of uh chorus of the song getting that melodic thing to it soundcloud.com slash moxie m-o-x-i-e the track is called Where Are You Going, Boy? The album Future Fears, only three of the tracks are on SoundCloud. So I recommend checking out their Bandcamp page, which I'm probably going to buy the full album on. Yeah, that's my recommendation. That's awesome. I'll, I'll check that out as well. Um, the the page that I wanted to recommend was uh, an improvisation ensemble out of Edinburgh, Scotland, called Mother Julian. Uh, this is another thing where it just kind of came up in my, in my autoplay on SoundCloud. And uh, just a very interesting and, and a very experimental uh, ensemble. The one that came up in my autoplay was a song called Sky Held Upon the Mountain. It's just just extremely like beautiful improvisation. 
it reminded me a lot of something that Mahavishnu Orchestra would play during their kind of quieter tracks. It, it sounds like a lot of stuff that um, Warren Ellis would do with a lot of his collaborators. Yeah, anyway, just uh, uh, very atmospheric, a lot of uses of uh, interesting chords and scales. Uh, you know, I, the song that I listened to was, uh, I think it sounded like, I tried to analyze it, but couldn't. Uh, and it sounded like it, it was in uh, an improvisation in the Lydian mode. But, or actually, I think it was in the Mixolydian because it had that kind of dominant sound to it. But uh, anyway, uh, I recommend it. And uh, I'll probably be listening to more of their content more as I go on. I didn't really have a lot of content prepared for the SoundCloud uh, portion of the show because honestly, I haven't listened to a lot of SoundCloud since the last time that we convened for a podcast. Mm. But uh, that is one that came up that I wanted to uh, shout out. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? That's about it for me. Uh, it's getting pretty late. I got to go Joe pass out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Sam Dow. And I'm Aiden Claire. And we will, we will, we'll, you will spin with us the next time. Yeah. <laughs>